This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 152, and we are recording on Friday, October 5th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Vanessa Diaz, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hey. Hello. So Amanda has the week off and Vanessa, who is taking over uh, on the Read Harder podcast, which is available to insiders, is subbing in. I'm super excited to have you. Ooh, I'm so excited too. Yes. Um, when do you do the Read Harder podcast going forward? So we, um, I just recently talked to um, our co-host, who's going to be Terza uh, from Book Riot, and we're working out the details of that right now. But we're, you know, going live uh, January, first week of January, mm. uh, working on the list of tasks. I'm, I'm really excited. It's, it's going to be great. It's going to be so fun. And you also, right, are in the club, book club's newsletter, yes? I do. Mm-hmm. I'm a total nerd on it, and you should absolutely <laughs> sign up if you aren't already there. I apologize in advance for my awful references. (laughs) No, no. I love your pop references. They are excellent. Um, What are you reading right now? I'm reading um, my indie where I work has a book club. So we're reading Joan Silver's Improvement, which I will be starting shortly. Um, And on audio, I'm doing the new Phoebe Robinson, the um, follow-up to... So her first one was, I think, You Can't Touch My Hair. <laughs> and this one is, like, everything's trash and it's okay. <laughs> and nice. it is, I mean, it's read by her and it's, like, laugh out loud, hilarious. You know where you keep writing it down, like, one-liners to show people and then you realize you've got 60 one-liners written down? Yeah, that kind of book. <laughs> it's great. That's it's awesome. just a good remedy to, like, the world. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. Um, that's great. Yeah, I did a little escaping yesterday. I read uh, the graphic novel Mech Cadet U by Greg Pak, um, which is drawn by Takeshi Mizawa. Uh. And like the first six uh, issues, it's a co- it's an ongoing comic, but the first six issues are collected in volume one. And it was so much fun. It's like um, sort of a mashup of Transformers and Rock'em Sock'em Robots and <laughs> like al- with aliens. Uh, and it's about like a you know in this alternate earth you know aliens have attacked the world and so there's these you know cadets who are training to protect the earth and every year a few of them get chosen to become bonded with these sentient robots that come from outer space um and this year yeah it's so good this year um a janitor's son at the academy gets picked instead of a very like high-ranking general's daughter and hijinks ensue and it's oh I just it was so fun and so like such a lovely sort of mental break in the story is so good I totally tried to do the same thing by finally reading Lumberjanes like two (gasps) weeks ago and I'm reading it and like nothing's making sense and I'm like what Uh and I struggle with it for like an hour, and then I finally realized that I've got a library copy, and some jerk face ripped out like key pages, but <gasps> did it like really close to the spine. So I didn't know that I was missing pages until. Oh. So oh I have my God. to like go back and reread that because I'm like, why does this keep skipping around? Like, yeah. <laughs> 
silly, but that's my that, graphic novel antidote for you. That's horrifying. Who would, what kind of monster rips pages out of a library copy? And I showed up to the library just like beside myself and the lady was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And then, you know, that's like all she could really do for me. I'm like, right. well, you have a good day then. Jeez, <laughs> <Right. laughs> what a jerk. Yeah. I hope that person steps on a lot of tiny Legos in the coming weeks. <laughs> that is like my uh, insult of choice. So you just became my best friend. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> All right. Well, if you are new to the show, here is how it works. It is a personalized reading recommendation show, as I mentioned at the top, which means that you send us in questions about what you should read next or what your book club should read or what you should get for a friend or a family member. Um, and we will do our best to find you a good pick based on your mentioned criteria. If you have a time-sensitive question, please do put when you would like the response back by in either the opening line, uh, like as soon at the top as you can. Um, you can submit them either via email, it's getbooked at bookriot.com, or via the form on the site. Um, each episode at the show notes has a form at the bottom. And yeah, make sure you put the time-sensitive in there real big, right at the top, first thing. Um, we will do our best to get to it. If we're not going to get to it on the air, uh, we will try to send you an email response instead. So keep an eye out for those. We also might email you if you've asked a question we've answered a couple times. And before we get started, I want to make sure y'all know that we have launched a very exciting new thing Woo. called TBR. It's Tailored Book Recommendations. And you can now sign up. And what you do is you get... Like it's it's this show, but like for your bookshelf. So you you know fill out a questionnaire about what you like to read and what you're looking for, and then the bibliologists will match books to you. You can either sign up for email recommendations or you can get uh, hardbacks. Um, and it's every three months you get new picks. And so there are different budget options, and like you get matched up with a bibliologist who specializes in what you're interested in reading. And it's really really cool, and we're really really excited about it, you can go to mytbr.co slash treat yourself to sign up. mytbr.co slash treat yourself. Super exciting. We're very jazzed, clearly. It's awesome. Yeah, it's super cool. Um, okay, so Vanessa is going to read our first question, and then I'm going to do our first sponsor, and away we will go. Awesome. Let's do this. Okay, so first question says, hello, Amanda and Jen and me. Um, this question, this month after a harrowing vacation planning session, wherein I blindly threw a dart at a map, I booked a flight to Portugal, jealous. Um, shortly after booking my ticket, I realized I don't know much about the country and its literature. Can you help me find something to read that's either set in Portugal or by a Portuguese author before my trip? Um, then he goes on to list some of his favorite reads, which include, um, or her, sorry, favorite reads, uh, A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara, The Wind Up Bird Chronicle by Haruki Murakami, Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel, and Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman. Many thanks, Rebecca. Mm -hmm. All right. So before we give those, our first sponsor is uh, Devil's Thief, published by Simon & Schuster Children's Publishing. And this is the spellbinding sequel to the New York Times bestselling The Last Magician, in which Esta and Hart set off on a cross-country chase 
through time to steal back the elemental stones they need to save the future of magic. As past and future collide, time is running out to rewrite history, even for a time-traveling thief. Um, this sounds delightful, and I am a big fan of uh, middle grade and YA sci-fi and fantasy. It is just so soothing to the brain and so enjoyable, and usually the plots are great, so if you are needing something like that, definitely check this one out. Again, that's The Devil's Thief, uh, and it is sponsored by Simon & Schuster's uh, Children's Publishing. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show. Okay, so I am going to give my first rec. Um, and so, okay, so, you know, Portugal, uh, Portuguese authors, my pick for you is, oh, and you and you mentioned A Little Life by Hanya Yanagahara, which means you have a strong reading stomach. So, so I picked for you Blindness by Jose Saramago. Um, he is obviously sort of a classic Portuguese writer. He's an award winner. He's, you know, very well known. Um, but if you haven't you didn't mention him, so it seems like you maybe haven't read him yet. And blindness is about an epidemic of, you guessed it, blindness that affects almost everyone in the world. Um, and, uh, or rather, it affects everybody at, like who comes down with it. They go totally blind. Um, and authorities have combined confined all of the blind to a mental hospital, but things go horribly wrong. People use blindness as an excuse to sort of play out their worst impulses. So this book comes with trigger warning for sexual assault, um, violence, and rape. Um, it is in contemplation of, yeah, like what does it mean to be human and how do people behave in crisis? Um, there's one woman who is, remains sighted um, who's sort of interacts with a group of the people trying to, to, you know, get out of this mental hospital and, and have like, and not be subject to this craziness. Um, so it's like a plague story. It's an epidemic story, a little bit of a, you know, a catastrophe story, all of that stuff going on. And I think you will find it interesting. So that is Blindness by Jose Saramago. Okay, so for my pick, um, I will confess that I'm a bit of a weenie when it comes to um, sort of triggering content. So when I first saw this list, I was like, oh, can I find something dark enough? Uh, but <laughs> I ended up going with one that is just set in Portugal that I really love called The High Mountains of Portugal by Jan Martel, who you may recognize as the author of Life of Pi. Um, so, <laughs> y'all, uh, this book is told in three parts. Each part um, is about a widower. So in the beginning, it starts off in like early 1900s Lisbon, and we meet uh, Tomas, who is just, his life is in shambles, because um, he's just lost his wife and his young son, both back-to-back to, back to diphtheria. Um, he's an assistant curator at a museum that's just gotten this huge donation of like religious stuffs, um, and he's sent to go kind of catalog these items, and while he's doing that, he comes across this super old diary um, from a, a priest named Father Ulysses, who seems to have uh, been assigned, if that's the right word, um, out to Portuguese Angola. And he hints through these like manic writings in the journal um, at the existence of some strange, like extraordinary artifact that if made public to the world would like blow up Christianity's spot. <laughs> like, it would just be like, catastrophic um, for that faith community. 
and he's upset. He's angry at God over the you know loss of his of his uh, wife and son, and he decides that it is like his life mission to find this artifact, and goes through this like crazy rabbit hole to try to do that. And it's like I'm taken off to the high mountains of Portugal to to track this thing down. And then 35 years later, we meet another man named Eusebio, who is a pathologist, a doctor um, at a Portuguese hospital. And he's hanging out, you know, in his office, as one does, when this woman comes in and says, like, hey, I need to, like, talk to you about my husband, about his autopsy. And he's like, cool, I'll do the autopsy when the guy comes through. And she's like, no, he's, he's here. And he's like, what do you mean here? And she unzips her suitcase, and the body of this man falls out. She's like, yeah, can you just, like, really quickly do this autopsy real quick? And so he does... Um, this strange kind of magical realism thing happens as he's doing this autopsy and he finds these um, lists of really like, weird artifacts that kind of tie in to the beginning. And then the last part is that 50 years later, we meet this Canadian senator named Peter, who, again, also grieving the loss of his wife. And in that grief makes this like rash decision to adopt a monkey, um, a chimp from a local animal preserve, and then flee to his hometown in Portugal to kind of get some perspective and deal with his grief. Um, All three of these stories are tied together in a way that I obviously won't talk about, but it is a really cool, like, quest story that's got some of that, like, allegory, fable quality of, like, Paulo Coelho's The Alchemist. Um, It definitely talks a lot about Portuguese uh, topography, about the scenery, so you really do get a sense um, for what that, those mountains might look like. And it's imbued with this Portuguese concept of saudade, um, which I'm sure I'm not pronouncing correctly, but it's that whole, um, it's a weird word that's hard to translate that is kind of like a longing for the way things were in the past. And the whole book is just like imbued with that feeling. Um, So anyway, really, really great. Hope you enjoy that. And that's The High Mountains of Portugal by Jan Martel. Nice. All right. Next question is from Brittany, who says, I absolutely loved I Am Pilgrim and need some more books like it. I love books that have multiple plot lines that converge in the end. Please help me find some more books to put on my shelf. I will read anything except romance. I prefer mystery and historical fiction. Uh, All right. So let's see. I have not read I Am Pilgrim. I will just caveat with that. So I couldn't, I don't know how to match the feel of that book. But when you said, I love books that have multiple plot lines that <laughs> converge in the end, I was like, oh, do I have a book for you? Mm-hmm. Um, it is The Bone Clocks by David Mitchell, which has a rotating cast of characters who all seem to have basically nothing to do with each other at the beginning and then everything sort of spirals together at the end and you see how everything connects. Um, My favorite character and the one that sort of like a lot of the copy focuses on is Holly Sykes who when you first meet her she's 15 and she's running away from home. Um, She has had a huge fight with her mother about her boyfriend who turns out not to be great. Um, But isn't it the worst when moms are right? Like, Um, And so, but anyway so Holly is basically running away from home um and she as you get to know her she's not just like some teenage girl she also has this sort of um like she has heard voices in her head and might have some psychic sensitivity um and she's hasn't like thought about this for a long time it was a thing when she was a kid but then it sort of went away but now she's having as she's like running away from home you know challenging uh, like trundling along through the english countryside she's starting to have 
odd visions and coincidences are happening and things are weird. Um, and this book is like, there's a quest for immortality and there's like, you know, psychic stuff and there's history and then there's future stuff and there's magic and there's just uh, like, there's like secret cadres and conspiracies and there's just so much going on. Um, and I think like, I loved some of the points of view and I really hated some of the points <laughs> of view, um, but they all are really well-written and really interesting. And the book is also very international. Like it travels around the world. And um, I just think it's like, if you love like all of these different inputs and then you're like, how, how is this all going to come together? Like this book does that really well. So that's The Bone Clocks by David Mitchell. Super, super hard cosign on the bone clocks. <laughs> <laughs> the um, indie where I work, um, my store owner is like the biggest David Mitchell fan. So we joked that when I started working for him, like I was going to need to read him. Um, so yeah, I read bone clocks and kept sending him that meme of that woman, like with doing all those complex calculations Yes, because I was like, what is, what is happening? It, yes. So, so good. Definitely hard cosign. Okay, so for my pick, um, I kind of uh, will also confess that I have not read I Am Pilgrim, but um, tried to do a little research on it and picked a historical romance, uh, historical romance, haha, sorry, historical fiction um, that I thought you might enjoy. Uh, so let's, let's talk about that. So I picked The Way of All Flesh by Ambrose Perry. Um, it does have some mystery in it too, which is why I think you'll enjoy it. I, I just finished it. I loved it. It's historical fiction, like I said, it's set in Victorian Edinburgh, which I'm so here for. Um, and in the beginning, we meet Will Raven, who is, he goes by Raven, and he is a medical student who is about to start this, like, fancy internship under a, like, very famous and renowned doctor, um, Dr. Simpson. But um, just as he's about to start that internship, tons of women keep turning up dead, and they're mainly young ladies uh, and one of his friends is among these women. Her name was Evie, but he can't really do much about it and doesn't report it when he finds her because she's a prostitute. And that's, of course, part of the problem with all of these deaths is that most of these women are either prostitutes or housemaids. And so no one really seems that invested in like figuring out what happened to them. But they're all dying in a manner that's very um, particular and gruesome. And their bodies are strangely contorted, which suggests that it's not just like your typical poisoning. Um, so anyway, he starts this internship and he can't really tell anybody about Evie. And then he, um, gets the crap beat out of him by some men that he owes money to because Evie asked him to please, please, please lend him this like large sum of money, but she wouldn't tell him why. Um, and that ties into what we kind of figure out is happening with these, these women. But so he starts this internship and he meets this girl named Sarah Fisher, who I love. She's like whip smart. She has an affinity for the sciences and for medicine, and so she kind of resents Raven because she's like, yo, like you get to study all the things that I want to do, but I can't do them just because I'm a woman. And so they, you know, of course, hate each other in the beginning, and it, they eventually kind of start to like each other when they both realize that um, they're both trying to get to the bottom of the same thing, which is to figure out what's going on with these women. The part that I love about this is that the people that wrote it are a husband and wife Scottish duo um, that go under the pseudonym of Ambrose Perry. He is a novelist and she is an anesthetist. And man, you can just tell that it's written by someone with that background because it is so well-researched. 
And so much of the book revolves around the early study of anesthetics, which, man, like, (laughs) be thankful that we got to where we are today because (laughs) the descriptions of having to kind of test out ether and see whether or not you'll survive the surgery. And if you did, hey, good for you is um, just super interesting. Um, And it it does have a very feminist leaning to the book as you get to see how Sarah kind of fights her way to, to have her voice known. So again, there's a bit of that mystery. It's got that great historical fiction. It's super, super immersed in Edinburgh, and it will give you that sense that you are standing right there on those like dark and haunted streets. Uh, so yeah, I hope you like that. And that's The Way of All Flesh by Ambrose Perry. Nice. Ta-da! Um, okay, so I'm going to keep going. Um, the next question says, hey guys, I'm looking for book recs for good horror novels that involve ghosts. I'm a huge horror movie fan and particularly love ghost stories and found footage movies. In reading, however, I've stuck mostly with urban and high fantasy novels, looking to expand my taste a bit this year, and I've also found that I'm running out of horror movies to watch. Um, Talks about having tried Stephen King's It, but having a problem with some of the homophobia that kind of pops up in books like this. So I was looking for um, some horror movies, pardon me, horror novels centered around hauntings and ghost stories. Bonus if they include LGBT characters, particularly gay or lesbian couples. Thank you for your time, Audie. Let's see. This is a tough one. I had a really hard time finding you a haunting story that included queer characters, which I think is just sort of there. It's true that I think horror is a bit lacking in queer stories. Um, But hopefully that will change in future years. I think there are a lot of new writers coming in who are doing awesome things and we will hopefully get more of that. Um, But I found you a diverse haunting slash ghost slash horror story and that is my soul to keep by tanana reeve do which i love um it is it is not solely a ghost story but the ghost story aspect is super important to the plot um it is about an African-American couple. Well, Afri- they're a, a black couple. Um, Jessica is African-American and David is, as far as she is, knows, um, from Africa. And um, he, they, they get married. He was her teacher at one point in college. And then after, they were no longer in a student-teacher relationship, thankfully. Um, they got together and now they're married. Jessica is a reporter um, and she loves her job. She's working on a book with her coworker. Like, she's really into what she does and David like seems like the perfect husband he just he just like if anything he's like oh you work so hard like I wish you would spend more time with me and our daughter um because they have a little kid um and then as the book goes along you start to find out that David is not who he says he is he is actually like 400 years old he's immortal um and the way he got immortal is like a really sort of crazy twist on vampirism, but I'm not going to say exactly how. Um, And there's like a secret cult and um, he is breaking the rules by sort of having a mortal family and being attached to them. Um, And so things start to unravel very quickly. There are a lot of murders, um, some of them grislier than others, some of them very grisly. Um, there are like chase sequences and there is this really tense sort of, uh, you know, emotional weight to it because 
like Jessica, you, you get to see from her perspective, like this man that she has built a life with and that she thought she loves and who appears to love her, but keeps doing these horrifying things. It's like, how do you reconcile the person you think we, you know, with this new person who's like, no, no, I'm still the same me. And it's like, okay, but are you? And oh my God, what have I done if you are? Um, and it is so nerve wracking. I was like gripping my couch arm, like as I got towards the end of this book, it is the first in a series. So if you like it, there's more. And there's so few books that do immortality with a character of color. Like it's just you don't see that very often. And Tananari do like does it so like it's so beautifully imagined. It's so intense. And there's there's some really rough scenes in here. Um, for example, David does live like does come to America during the Civil War um and sees like slavery up close and personally. Um and it that section is really triggering and horrifying. So I'm gonna include trigger warnings in the show notes for this. But if you like it's a horror book, like you you're gonna have some horror. So um if you're on board for that this book is great um and i have the sequel um on my tbr i just haven't gotten to it yet it's also got a stephen king blurb on the front of the cover i'm just saying so that is my soul to keep by tanana Do. <laughs> horror has horror who knew I, I mean who knew right I, but i always you know you want to say because people <laughs> have people you don't want anybody to be surprised totally totally okay so i um I feel like I've said this already, but I am a super weenie about certain types of reading, but I definitely love a good ghost story. And so I kind of focused on that part of this for you. Um, plus, I did find something for you that's got some LGBT characters, specifically um, a lesbian relationship. So um, I picked Affinity by Sarah Waters. The, this book is like Orange is the New Black plus dead man walking but set in victorian london with a lesbian love affair um it is not typical horror but it is like quietly terrifying and kind of bone chilling so it's it's about a woman named margaret margaret Pryor who is visiting Millbank prison which is a real prison was a real prison um in victorian london right by the thames and she's there as part of like a charitable rehab stint um, because she herself attempted to take her own life um, after her father passed away. So um, trigger warning for suicide, but it's like very, very mildly spoken of. Um, and so she starts to go to this prison to be a lady visitor, which is essentially like a companion to the inmates because um, nothing will cheer you up like talking to someone who's got a way better life than you. Um but so literally, she that's what she does. She goes and she sits in these cells. Like, she literally is locked in these cells with these prisoners, um, which is, I think, so hilarious. They're like, hey, I know these people are dangerous, but please sit with them in a locked room. Call me when you're done. Um, and that's exactly what she does. And so she meets all these women that are in different, you know, come from different backgrounds, different circumstances. The prison is split up into wards, kind of based on social class. Like, there's certain prisoners that are called star prisoners that get like a nice open airy space. It's just ugh, like, there's a lot of commentary there. Um, but Margaret meets towards the end of her first visit, this woman named Selena Dawes, who was imprisoned for being a spiritualist. Um, so she was famous for holding these like dark circle seances. Um, she was sought out by a lot of like very wealthy people for them. Like again, really well known. And one of them went horribly awry and left one of her clients like profoundly disturbed and her benefactor died from like fright basically. 
So they don't really like know exactly what to imprison her for. So they pick these kind of random charges because she didn't technically like kill them. Um, and so there's a lot of like mystery surrounding her and everybody's kind of drawn to her. She's very quiet um, and can kind of, again, just mysterious. And Margaret just cannot tear herself away, even though she's skeptical about this whole like spiritualist thing. And that's when super weird things start to happen, not just at the prison, but like well after she gets home. And that's kind of all I can really tell you without getting into it. But it's it's like a tale of, again, like quiet obsession. Uh, she starts to realize like that she's developing these feelings for Selena and the way that they interact and the way that she's just, again, like racked by this obsession is one of those that like I couldn't put it down until like two in the morning. Um, it's, it's really great. Again, maybe not like typical, typical horror, but it will leave you with that like feeling that I, I love in a good ghost story. (laughs) So that's Affinity by Sarah Waters. Sarah Waters is so great. I had been meaning to read her for a long time. This is actually my first one. Yay! (laughs) No, that's good. That's great. But I loved it and I can't wait to like get Fingersmith and tipping the velvet now. She's, she's great. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, let's see. Question four is from Lauren, who says, I'm going through a difficult breakup and I'm finding escaping into reading a healthy way to deal with my feelings. I recently read The Night Circus for the first time and found it was a great book for me right now, not necessarily because of the genre, but because of the immersive environment the author creates and because the ending is generally happy. I started reading Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, hoping it would provide a similar imaginative environment, but I'm finding the beginning a little slow. I'm open to any genre of book as long as it is immersive and not depressing. Um, oh, Lauren, friend. Yes, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell is very slow, and it doesn't get any faster through the rest of the book. I love that book, but it is it is not fast. Um, I am picking for you a, a little quartet of middle grade fantasy that I just finished rereading when I was on vacation a couple of weeks ago. That is like talk about a like an, a so enjoyable immersive environment. It's the Enchanted Forest Chronicles by Patricia Reed. Um, it is four books. It's dealing with dragons, searching for dragons, calling on dragons, and talking to dragons. Um, and you can that is actually their in world order, um, but they were actually written in a different order, which I didn't know until I was reading. I, ha- I got like the quartet ebook and it includes all of these little introductions from Patricia Reed for each book. And she talks about how it all came together and like why she actually wrote, you know, the fourth the fourth book first and how that happened. And she worked with Jane Yolen as her editor. And that added just this really fascinating layer to me because I had read these as a kid, um, but didn't know any of that stuff. And so um, just to like actually give you an idea of what they're about, uh, the first one, Dealing with Dragons, is about a princess named Cimmerine who refuses to be proper. Her parents want her to like, you know, learn etiquette and dancing and get ready to marry a prince from a neighboring kingdom. And she's like, but what if I learned cooking or sword fighting or basically anything is more interesting than etiquette lessons? Um, And she sort of, you know, they're just like not impressed with this plan at all um and they finally are like you're gonna get married and she's like nope and runs away and decides to become the princess to a dragon kezul because in this scenario dragons do kidnap princesses but they kidnap them to do things like you know organize their library or their treasure hoard and like cook them cherries jubilee which happens to be Simarine's specialty so <laughs> so Simarine is like happily ensconced being you know 
know, the basically like dragon assistant um, to this dragon kazool when wizards start to show up to make trouble in the mountains where the dragons live and hijinks ensue from there. There is an amazing witch with a million cats. There's some really enjoyable sequences where Simmerine is like chasing off her would-be rescuer knights. Um there is there's a little bit of romance um there's just there's just so much fun there's so much fun and they really will just sort of suck you in and you will get totally like attached to the world that uh Samarine and her fellow characters live in and like I just wanted to like spend all of my brain time I, I read these as I was like on trains or planes and it was the perfect distraction um so yeah it's just it's just so much fun it'll totally take you out of whatever is going on in your regular life, which I feel like we could all use right now. Um, so that is the Enchanted Forest Chronicles by Patricia Reed. That sounds fantastic. Oh my God. There's so much fun. Oh, I love like everything about that just sold me. I, I want that. Okay. So I definitely went with the like immersive, I just want to feel good thing. And clearly since you are writing into us, you like books. So I picked a book about books um, called The 13th Tale by Diane Setterfield. Oh, I love this book. Um, so it's about reclusive author Vita Winter, who is famous for this kind of particular collection of stories where um, the 13th tale is missing. Um, and she has kind of made um, a reputation for herself like where tons of biographers have approached her about this 13th tale. And she always gives them this like super outlandish, like over the top explanation for what that tale is. And they all leave feeling, like, really good about themselves. Like, yeah, I got the story. Except, no, you didn't get the story. She lied to your face. Um, but in her, like, final years of life, she she's sick. She's dying. And she decides she's finally ready to reveal the secret of this missing story. So she selects this bookseller and biographer named Margaret Lee uh, to tell her story to. Uh, side note, somebody please pick me for this. Um, and it's... What follows is just this, like, beautiful, like, gothic suspense novel that's got all the, like, fun things about that. Like, a creepy family estate full of secrets and drama, eccentric relatives. Um, there's a creepy twin story. Um, but it's not depressing at all. It's it's definitely got tons of those, like, Instagrammable quotes about love of books. Um, and the way it talks about England and, like, the countryside was like the tipping point in making me want to go to England after a lifetime of being obsessed with like British lit. Um, and I did, I went like right after I read this book. Um, so yeah, it's just a really, really great book. That's not only a bit about like bibliophilia, but, um, a lot of like complex family dynamics and stuff. And it's just like a total, like perfect book to get lost in and give you ha good, happy bookish feels. Um, so that's the 13th tale by Diane Sutterfield. I loved that book. And I did read it when I was still a bookseller. And I was like, oh, the dream. Right? Like, <laughs> somebody pick us. <laughs> yes, yeah. pick me. Please. <laughs> um, I will come to your creepy house to write down your memoirs. Like, absolutely. Totes. Why not? <laughs> Um, okay, our next sponsor is Flight or Fright, uh, the audiobook, a terrifying new anthology edited by Stephen King and Bev Vincent. Um, the audiobook is narrated by Stephen King and an all-star cast and features brand new stories by King, um, including The Turbulence Expert and Joe Hill. The story is called You Are Released, as well as classic tales from the likes of Ray Matheson, excuse me, Richard Matheson, Ray Bradbury, Roald Dahl, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and many more um so you can start listening to flight or fright today 
It is available on CD and for download anywhere audiobooks are sold. So yes, if you need to up your creepy factor for the holiday, the, the Halloween holiday season, uh, this is a good one. Again, that's Flight or Fright, the audiobook, a terrifying new anthology edited by Stephen King and Bev Vincent. Very nice. Okay, uh, Vanessa, oh, it's your turn. It is, yes. Um, okay, so question five says, uh, Hi, I was wondering if you can help me find more books with an unreliable narrator. I have read Gone Girl, Girl on the Train, Await Your Reply, The Talented Mr. Ripley, and Where'd You Go, Bernadette? I particularly enjoy books when you don't actually know if the narrator is unreliable or not until you get into it, as opposed to Mr. Ripley, where I knew from the start. Thanks, I wait your reply, Casey. So this is an interesting question. I thought really hard about what I wanted to recommend for this because there are so many good unreliable narrator books. But I wanted to give you one of the more unconventional ones that I have read, and it is Turn of Mind by Alice LaPlante. And this is wacky because you know that the narrator is unreliable. You just don't know in what way. It's about a woman who is a retired surgeon who has dementia and but like she still has good days um and then she has her bad days and when the story picks up her best friend amanda is found dead and four of amanda's fingers have been surgically removed and because the main character jennifer white is a surgeon she is the prime suspect but because she has dementia she literally doesn't know whether or not she killed her best friend. And she's like, why would I have killed my best friend? Like, but then again, like why are four of her fingers surgically removed? Like this makes no sense. Like nothing about this makes any sense. Um, and so she is trying to piece together what she can and can't remember about the timeline during which this murder took place. And so you're reading sort of her like journal entries um, of her trying to like, be like, okay, I remember doing this, but I don't remember this. Like, can I, what, where, like, do I have like any evidence in my house that will tell me where I was or what was happening? Um, and the story gets more and more layers to it. And you start to find out like, you know, these women and their friendship, which was really complicated in a lot of different ways. Um, and, you know, uh, and whites uh, to like grown children are sort of involved. And then she's got a live-in caretaker. And there's all of these, you know, like people who are telling her things but she doesn't trust herself and she doesn't trust anyone else. And so it, it just unspools in this really fractured, fascinating way. I thought this was just a bananas read. Um, so again, that's Turn of Mind by Alice LaPlante. I love that book. I actually, um, <laughs> two times in this process of Jen and I like figuring out what books to suggest, I kept hopping back into our spreadsheet to be like, I know the book, and then she had picked one, and this oh, was no. one of them. Um, so anyway, it is really good. I like totally co-sign it because it is unconventional. You don't usually like see this particular angle. Um, okay, so I went with a totally different read. Um, I went with Our Kind of Cruelty by Araminta Hall, which I think is so underrated, or, or maybe it is um, more highly rated outside of my like personal circle, but it is so bananas. And I kind of can't say too much about it. Um, so it's set in England because that's apparently all I ever read, is books set in the UK. Um, and it's narrated by Mike, who is in love with a woman named Verity. It's his girlfriend. Um, and in the beginning of the book, you um, hear about this game that they like to play that they call Crave. So like, if they want to go out and play this game, they call it Craving. 
Um, and it's kind of a sort of thing you've heard before where like Verity goes and sits at a bar and then waits for like a dude to hit on her. And then once he buys her a drink and like starts to want to ask her out, Mike comes swooping in to be like, yo, that's my chick and blah, 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 and assert himself. And so then they're all hot for each other and sexy times ensue. Um, but you find out pretty quickly in the beginning of the book that they've broken up for whatever reason. So he's left England, gone to the States, uh, I think to New York and made like an excellent career for himself. Once he's ready to come back, he does comes back to, um, to England and, uh, he buys a flat and everything's great. Finds out that Verity is engaged to be married. Um, and the thing about that though, is that he's convinced that, Verity is just one-upping the Crave game and that her engagement is really just her asking him to come in and, like, save the day. Um, That's kind of all I can say. I I literally went back and listened to Liberty's blurb about this on all the books because I wanted to see, like, how did she get away with talking about this without saying too much? Um, And like she said, it's one of those where depending on how you interpret the ending... I mean, A, I think you're going to want to throw the book at the wall and hate me for a bit, regardless of how you interpret it, because it's just that kind of book. But depending on how you see that last scene, you're either going to go, yeah, totally, that's like of the moment. Um, And, you know, what interesting commentary on some like current social issues. Or you might be like, oh, that's disgusting. That's terrible. And either way, though, I think it's worth the read because it is um, A, from an unreliable narrator that's a guy, uh, which I haven't seen too much of. I feel like so many of these reads are all girl this, girl that. Um, And I also must apologize because after you read this book, you will never want to hear Wonderwall, like ever, ever, ever (laughs) again. (laughs) It's just, it's dead. Even the cute corgi memes, no. Like, you would never, no. Wonderwall is, is gone. Um, but anyway, really, really great read. Uh, so that's Our Kind of Cruelty by Araminta Hall. I'm sitting here just, like, cringing hearing about it. and I th- It's I think so I, cringy. Yeah, I'm just very, ooh, my shoulders are, like, up by my ears. Um, okay. Next question is from Sad Reader. Well, uh, books with borderline characters or any type of mental illness. So I just recently read my first book, excuse me, with a borderline uh, character, and it is called Borderline by Michelle Baker. Um, This one comes with trigger warnings for self-harm and suicide, which is kind of essential to the plot. So I'm going to talk about it for a minute. So if you don't want to hear about that, go ahead and skip ahead. Um, This is a fantasy novel about a woman named Millie who uh, tried to commit suicide by jumping off of a building. Um, and in the, she didn't die, but she did lose her legs. So she is a double amputee. She was, and the reason she, well, one of the reasons that she was depressed was because she, um, she has borderline personality disorder and she was struggling with her film career. She lives in LA and, um, she, when you, the book opens, she's recuperating, uh, in this facility, um, and really mostly recuperating, trying to deal with her mental state. Um, and she, one day this woman shows up at the facility and is like, I want to recruit you for a secret organization. Also, magic is real. And she's like, um, what? Just what is going on? I was like, is somebody messing with me? Like, what is going on? This is bananas. And, but she kind of, the woman is very compelling. She kind of doesn't have anything better going on. And so she decides like, all right, well, 
you know, she's going to pay me and she's going to give me this shot at getting back to my career. Like, so I guess I will give it a try and we'll see what happens. And her first assignment is to track down a missing movie star who also happens to be like a missing elf, basically an elf from the Sealy Court who has gone missing. Um, and she's like, all right, cool, movie star elf. Like, sure, why not? Um, and so she uses her sort of Hollywood know-how to start figuring out like what has happened to this person. Um, and things get very dark and very crazy. Um, the supporting characters in this book are amazing. She ends up living in this house with the other members of this, you know, sort of secret organization, all of whom have serious issues of some kind or a disability of some kind. Um, some of them are, you know, mentally ill. Some of them are, you know, have disability, physical disabilities. Some have both. Um, but there, there's something that makes them perfect for this job as well and so it is like a true like misfit crew and the ways that they interact with each other and call each other out and also like sort of prey on each other's insecurities but also sometimes support each other is so complicated and so beautifully rendered like it's not there's no clear like good guys bad guys here well I mean there is a villain but <laughs> In terms of, like, most of the story, you really see people, like, who are really struggling, honestly struggling, and, like, what that looks like when you're also trying to be, like, part of a group, part of a functional situation. Like, it's just, oh, it's, I, like, have a lot of, I'm clearly, I have a lot of feelings about it. Um, and then there's this magic element to it. Like, it's, it's a real interesting, I think elf punk is a term that applies here. Um, and it, yeah, it's really fascinating. And the way that Millie's borderline personality disorder is portrayed from what I've seen of reviews from people who also are experiencing this is very well drawn. Um, and uh, the author, Michelle Baker, it's like, it's an own voices books. This is also something that she struggles with. And um, she did a lot of research on the amputee aspect. So, you know, she's done her best to build a really compelling portrait. And um, from where I was sitting, I found it very immersive and very just like, oh, I could not stop turning the pages on this one. Even though sometimes I just wanted to like reach into the book and shake Millie by the shoulders. Uh, so again, that's Borderline by Michelle Baker. This entire time I've been singing that like Madonna song in my head. Yeah. <laughs> help it. But that sounds super great. Um, okay, so I went um, with a nonfiction, which I wasn't sure at first because you did ask for, um, no, you just said books, so I think this is fine. And then you signed Sad Reader, so I thought this might be a great, great, great pick for you. It's Don't Call Me Crazy, edited by our very own Kelly Jensen. Um, it's all the claps, Muppet Arms. It's it, This is such a great collection. Uh, so the book is this again, collection of essays, comics, illustrations, like all kinds of fun things. Um, but, and, and also a very serious discussion from 33, yeah, 33, I think, contributors. Um, and these contributors, man, are everybody from our, you know, Kelly to my fave, Victoria Schwab, uh, Libba Bray, Adam Silvera, Nancy Kerrigan contributed to this. Um, so just like this really wide and like diverse range of voices. And they share their very personal experiences dealing with mental illness. Um, again, some of these are, are drawings that kind of interpret what coping with mental illness and mental health issues is like. Um, so they use a lot of different mediums here. But it explores the way that we talk or often don't talk about mental health. Um, I 
loved the essay that particularly talks about uh, how we use the word crazy, because that's a word that I have in the last, you know, however much of my consciousness started to question whether it's appropriate for me to use, because it's a word that I think we just all use so flippantly. It's it's part of our vernacular, but it really, um, it does offend some people and, and it also doesn't offend others. Some people really own it. And so I, I kind of, I don't know, there's just a lot to learn here. I... You will, especially if you are coming from a place where you're, you know, a little bit sadder, I just love that it explores the different ways in which uh, mental health affects us. I think a lot of people think that mental illness is just, um, they just associate the most extreme versions of it. And and sometimes mental illness is, it starts as quietly as just realizing that you can't get out of bed, um, which I think we've all felt at some point before. And it, I don't know, it just sparked a lot of great discussion. I know in my own like friend groups about how we deal with mental health, especially in like communities of color. Um, but it is decidedly also very hopeful. So it's not one of those, it's just to get you down. It's, it's a really great read that hopefully will destigmatize uh, that conversation around this like super important subject. Um, just, just a really fantastic collection. So yeah, that's Don't Call Me Crazy, edited by Kelly Jensen. Excellent. Yes. Okay, so I will read our last question. Last question? Yes, last question. Mm-hmm. Um, so, greetings from Buenos Aires, Argentina. My name is August, oh, Agustin. Uh, I'm looking for recommendations for books about libraries and or books in which these elements are important to the plot. Quite specific, sorry, uh, but I'm hooked and I crave these kinds of books. Okay, totally not super specific. We're totally here for this kind of request. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he gives some list of books that he's read. The Library at Mount Char by Scott Hawkins. All the Names by Jose Saramago. The Name of the Rose by Umberto Eco. Mr. Panamera's 24-Hour Bookstore by Robin Sloan. And The Shadow of the Wind by Carlos Ruiz Safon. Um, never miss an episode. Help me get books. You're my only hope. Love, Agustin. Oh, we are here for you. Books about books and books about libraries for sure. Um, I picked one that is a little on the like, well, it's very on the weird side um, and a little more on the realistic side than some of the books you named, which are, but I mean, you've got a range in there, though. You've got a range. There's like fantasy in there and then there's just like weirdo fiction. <laughs> so um, I would like to add to your stack Long Division by Kiese Lyman, which is this really in like meandering and sort of tangential and amazing book that's a coming of age story um it's set in post katrina mississippi it's about race it's about religion it's about all of these different things um it starts off in 2013 uh, during a nationally televised like quiz show, and the 14-year-old um, who is on the show, uh, City Coldson, like he basically has an onstage meltdown during this this televised thing and becomes a YouTube celebrity overnight. Um, and he gets sent to stay with his grandmother in this tiny coastal community. Um, and it just so happens that a young girl in this area has recently disappeared. Um, and as he's going, somebody gives him this strange book that doesn't have an author. It's called Long Division. And then one of the main characters in the book is also named City Coldson, um, but it's set in 1985. Um, and in the book, this person discovers a way to travel into the future. And there start, and then there's all of these coincidences that start to sort of line up. And then there's also like a 1964 timeline. Um, and so it's a book, it's meta, it's a book about a book, it's also about America and our really complicated racial history, and it's a coming-of-age story about a teenager, and I mean, it's just, there's so 
much going on here. Just so much. Um, and this is an amazing debut. And the author has a memoir coming out very soon um, that I, it's like very high up on my stack. And, um, and like the cover of it has a, has a Roxanne Gay blurb that just says something like, read it. I'm paraphrasing. But like, it basically like Roxanne Gay is like, yeah, read this book. Um, and so, yeah, like Lyman has like these amazing blurbs. And I just, I just think this book, if you love weird books and you love books about books and you're like in for a crazy ride, um, this is a one that you absolutely need to pick up. So that's Long Division by Kiese Lyman. I think I've had that on my bookshelf for some time. <laughs> just haven't read actually it, gotten to it. <laughs> yeah, it came out a while ago. It's it's not super new. So Yeah, I, it sounds really interesting. Okay, so our last pick, my last pick is um, – well, first I want to say real quick that I love – all of the books that you mentioned here. And since you mentioned Shadow of the Wind, which I only just read this year and like fell head over heels for, um, that the new uh, Carlos Luis Safon book is out, The Labyrinth of the Spirits. So if you did love Shadow of the Wind, go pick that up. Um, it is a meaty sucker. I'm just warning you. It's like, <laughs> like I mean, it's a hardcover and it's like, I think $36, $38. Like it's, it's big, um, not just price-wise, but like it's a weapon, <laughs> but it looks really great. Um, but anyway, the club, uh, the book, pardon me, that I picked for you is The Club Dumas by um, Arturo Perez Reverte. So um, the, the one, the version of this that I read had a little blurb on the front that called it, I think, Umberto Eco meets Anne Rice, <laughs> which mm. is like, yeah, I want that. <laughs> um, so it's about, so in the beginning of the book, we um, find out that this like really um, affluent bibliophile and collector of books has been found hanged. And um, he has left behind this document that um, the authorities then like seek to have authenticated because it appears that this document is part of the original manuscript to Alexandre Dumas', Dumas um, The Three Musketeers. So they bring in this character, Lucas Corso, who is like a book detective um, and sort of like mercenary figure <laughs> who is hired um, and ha- his clientele consists of all sorts of like wealthy and interesting types to procure rare and interesting texts. So um, he, you know, sets off on this like quest to authenticate this document and that's where things get weird. <laughs> the investigation leads him to like another set of rare books and then those books send him down this crazy trail that involves like uber obsessed bibliophiles. There's like a femme fatale character and, you know, some like devil worship and occult circles. It's just like so many of like the, I feel like it kind of takes a lot of the elements of the books that you described liking and smashes them together in this like big, um, beautiful, crazy ride. Um, and it does take place in several different um, locations. So there's parts that take place in Spain, parts in Portugal, and then in France. So it's, it's also a ride in that way, but super interesting and like a definite must for people who love books about books. Um, so that's The Club Dumas by Arturo Perez Reverte. And that's our show. Woohoo! Hooray! Um, Vanessa, thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. This was awesome. 
Uh, all right. You can leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, and we would super appreciate it if you did. We love to see the feedback, and it helps other folks to find this show. Um, even if you don't, thanks for listening anyway. Uh, thank you to our sponsors for making the show possible. And you can find us on social media. I am on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, and that is Jen with two N's. And I am uh, on Instagram and on the Twitter at Buenos Dias SD. It's B U E N O S D S like my last name, D-I-A-Z-S-D. And we will talk to you next time. Thanks, guys. Bye.